and welcome. You're listening to Nature's a Hoot with Tom Morath and Hannah Shaw, the wildlife podcast from the Hawk Conservancy Trust. As you know, we are all about birds at the Trust, but birds don't live alone. They are part of a whole ecosystem. So the podcast is our chance to take a more general look at wildlife beyond birds. If you're attuned to know more about biodiversity or barn owls and eager to explore the worlds of woodlands and wetlands, Basically, if you like wildlife, then you are in good company. And you don't need to be an expert. We've got that covered as we're joined by some of the greatest voices in conservation to tell us more about what's happening right now in the wild world around us. Coming up in this month's episode, we have our second part of our interview with Megan McCubbin wildlife writer, conservationist and, of course, presenter of Springwatch. So last time, Hannah, um, Megan talked to us an awful lot. Of, well, not an awful lot. That sounds like it was arduous, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Megan spoke to us a lot about her work on Springwatch and uh, right, yeah. kind of what it's like to be a wildlife TV presenter. And this time uh, we're going to show you the bit of the... Uh, interview that was more about her writing and and what what was like kind of bringing out a book in the middle of lockdown and and Mm. how it was received. So Hannah, how are, how's things with you? I I will actually forewarn you that uh, our recording situation is different today. You might get a bit more kind of ambient noise in the background because, uh, well, technology doesn't really like me very much. And so <laughs> the only place I can get a good enough signal to talk to Hannah at distance is in the middle of our kind of main office. <laughs> so uh, you might hear um, Ryan making himself a coffee. <laughs> you might hear uh, Alice preparing some of the signage for our weekend events. You might even hear Delilah the Chocolate Labrador giving a giving her ear a good old scratch you never know so just to <laughs> forewarn you but how are you i am fine thank you tom um uh i had a very nice walk this morning around regis wildflower meadow Ooh. which was lovely um how's things with you yeah it's pretty good actually it's nice to see the meadow kind of blooming and some wildflowers there yeah. and you know last time i said about i was really disappointed about my wildlife kind of project in the garden just not really showing any signs of wildlife well we have had some signs of wildlife which is making me excited the main one just being that the wildflower patch that we sowed is actually starting to flower now so we've got flowers of all sorts of different colors the main ones being these the most gorgeous red poppies that are coming through oh lovely so there's like a real color pop in the garden um and just just kind of some of the borders are a little bit kind of more uh don't know they're just a little bit wilder i guess whereas normally perhaps i would have weeded a bit more i've left yeah. things to grow a bit and the birds the small birds the um the the small passerine birds are really liking that because they're kind of hiding yeah. in there and coming to the bird feeder and then shooting off again to to next go- next to next door's garden which um anybody who's a long-term listener will probably know that i'm quite bitter about the fact that next door has an enormous garden <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a small one, but I'm a keen advocate for small gardens can be good for wildlife, so it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I can deal with it. Still nothing <laughs> well, in the pond, though. How's oh your garden? No. My garden's good, yes. Like you said, um, I've also got like a, well, most of my garden is quite wild, um, but I've got a couple of really nice wild patches with wildflowers growing, which is lovely. Lots of oxeye daisies, 
Um, poppies are starting to come through. And we've got lots of um, scarlet pimpernel as well, like on the Ooh. ground, because I raked it all and put some seed down. And those are really nice because they provide nice ground cover. Um, yeah, and I found a, a caterpillar this afternoon and I was trying to work out what it is. And I, I'm pretty sure it's a moth. I think it might be a moth called a knotgrass moth caterpillar. So Ooh. that was quite cool. Nice to see something a bit different. Very cool. I've noticed yeah. around the trust we've got lots of um, uh, ladybird larvae around the place. You know, these kind of little... Okay. Little tiny grubs that kind of... They don't really look anything like ladybirds, do they? Apart from... I think they're black and red still. But, um, <laughs> yeah, people often ask what are they and, and they're, they're little little baby ladybirds that will grow up into the ladybirds we all know and love. Um, I also... You're, well, it was only yesterday at the time of recording. I sent you that picture of that that moth that yeah, was on the door of one of the really aviaries nice. scarlet scarlet tiger moth i was just i was going around feeding a couple of the owls in the evening giving them some of their evening tea and uh, what should i see on one of the the doors to to the aviaries but but this scarlet scarlet um what is that scarlet tiger moth i think it's a scarlet tiger yeah yeah it was yeah beautiful nice. beautiful kind of iridescent yeah. where it's dark in color and then that that lovely kind of red red spots on their back they're just yeah really lovely yeah, there's lots going on at the moment, isn't there? The meadow is amazing. There's so many nice flowers in the meadow and insects, day-flying moths and butterflies and all sorts. It's really worth a visit. Yeah, well, even if, if um, people who listen to the podcast keep up with our social media, you might have seen um, one of our newest colleagues, James, who's just recently joined the bird team. He oh, took yeah. a few photographs of the fox family that have kind of set up residence um, yeah. well, somewhere around the meadow. We don't know exactly where, but they do come and uh, have a little pace around the the uh, the meadow once we're closed. So it was yeah. the photos are great because the sun's setting and all the wildflowers are out. It's just like a quintessential nature scene um, with this lovely family of, of foxes, yeah. including their cubs, which is... Yeah, really amazing. Nice. So that was a great capture by James, but um, yeah, lovely to see the wildlife so close to home, really. Yeah, it's lovely. Cool. So, as always, Hannah, it's our it's time for our bit of fun. It's our, our matter-of-fact challenge, which, as you know now, it pitches you and I, Hannah, against one another to come up with the best fact in our chosen category. And uh, remind me what last month's was. Long time ago Most now. Most beautiful insect, was it? It was, yeah. Most most beautiful insect. What did you go with? Uh, Picasso bug. The Picasso bug, yeah. Which, let's face it, as bugs go, pretty pretty beautiful. Yeah, pretty nice bug. <laughs> didn't didn't seem to didn't seem to really uh, really get people as excited as the elephant hawk moth, though, which seemed no. to do very very. Well. Now I have to say, it wasn't like a landslide. You know, it was probably, <laughs> what, 60-40 maybe? Yeah, I think so. So just kind of pipped you to the post with the with the elephant hawk moth, which was my th- God, third win of the series. Just getting oh. used to this now. Uh, <laughs> Is it 3-1? Se- <laughs> yeah, 3-1, three, 3-1. One, three, one. Well, you know, hey, it's still, wow. still all to play for with, I don't know how many episodes we've got left to go <laughs> of the series, <laughs> but... It, you could make a last-minute comeback uh, with yeah. this month's Matter of Track Challenge. So, should we do it? Yeah, let's go for it. This month's Matter of Track Challenge is... Most Impressive Plant. Okay, so, 
I pondered over this, as I do with every one of these challenges, to try and find a way to win, Tom. Um, I pondered over this for a while and tried to think of what sort of things make a plant impressive. And I had to go for a tree because, I mean, trees are just incredible. And thought a lot about it and decided to go for the baobab tree, which is a tree, I'm sure you know it, also sometimes called the upside down tree tree found um, in Africa, Madagascar, and there are a couple of species in Australia, or one species in Australia, I think. And they're these, they have these giant, like, fissured trunks, um, and hu- these hu- huge wide trunks, and I, th- I think both by uh, the way they look and also by how useful they are as a tree, they are my most impressive plant. When you say they're like really useful, yeah, are, are they kind of do they hold like whole ecosystems of their own? Like are they re- are they relied upon by the wildlife around them? So they have a lot of uses for people, um, and they have a lot of uses for animals oh, okay. as well. So they're very important food plant for a lot of animals. Um, the fruit, for example, is eaten by monkeys, also by people. I don't know if you've ever tried baobab. No, it's quite and is strange. that like something you can pick up in the supermarket, or you kind of need to be in Africa well, to, to have it? No, I think it's been touted as a superfood, hasn't it? So it's probably really expensive. Right. And <laughs> yeah, so it's along alongside like kale and avocado. You yeah, can have but I, it's over. quite strange tasting. It's quite sharp, but also sweet, and it's quite powdery as well. But it has six times more vitamin C than oranges. Um, wow! So the fruit is eaten by lots of different animals. The bark is eaten by elephants. Elephants actually use the bark, and they strip the bark off and eat it um, when water is when they can't get to water because it holds a lot of water in its trunk. So it can hold thousands and thousands of liters of water in its trunk. Um, it also, I mean, people use the bark to make rope, to make baskets. Um, you can eat, obviously eat the fruit. You can also eat the leaves if you boil them up. I've never tried that. I'm not sure what that would taste like. Um, <laughs> you can also... That would be like a Heston, Heston yeah. uh, recipe, wouldn't it? Yeah, Got a bit odd. Sure. Um, you can also use the oil from the seeds to make cosmetics. And um, it is also a medicinal plant. So, yeah, very useful plant. Um, and as you said, useful in the ecosystem because it's important for... Um, lots of animals nest in it, lots of animals, um, bees, for example, um, use baobabs. Leopards like baobabs because they have big, nice, flat branches for them to Of course, yeah, on. so those classic photographs you see when they're yeah. just like chilling in the shade of a tree. Yeah. It's likely to be one of those. Yeah, so that's why I picked the baobab. How about you? Oh, it sounds very, sounds very, very impressive. Um, what did I go with? I actually went with uh, the giant water lily oh, wow. this time. I don't know whether you've seen these. Like, I can kind of think back to my primary school days of uh, of reading about frogs resting on a lily pad, yeah. and you kind of think that's quite small. You know, it's, it's, how does it hold the weight of a frog, a <laughs> leaf in a in the water? How does it do that? With these ones, you're under no illusions as to how much they can hold they can actually hold the weight of a small child because they when they are fully grown grow up to three meters in diameter so they're absolutely huge um you'll find them in uh brazil uh, and throughout colombia and in bolivia and they're known as uh, victoria amazonica 
and they're actually nice. named after Queen Victoria, which oh, is wow. interesting. Yeah. Um, but they're the largest water lilies in the world, and they're just they're just they're massive. They're massive. You could, it, like I say, a small child can sit on a giant water lily like this um, because they're they're so large. Now the other thing that kind of drew me to them was not just the fact that they're kind of big and impressive, but also their uh, their flowering cycle is kind of interesting as well, and I think quite impressive. So when they first flower, they are uh, white flowers when they first bloom, and apparently they smell like uh, pineapple. Mm. Interesting, and that attracts lots and lots of uh, insects in to come and pollinate, and then they close up at night trapping some of the beetles on the inside whilst they're feeding, which is kind of part of the interesting thing. But also, this only happens once over two days. So they open up and flower and they're white. They close up again. Um, so they close up during the daytime. Yeah. Open up again the next evening. And they're not white anymore. They are like purple to red colour. And they've completely lost their scent. How so weird. that kind of pollination period, opening up for those pollinators co- to come in with that brightest colour, is very, very short-lived. Um, and you know, a pineapple-scented giant water lily <laughs> in you know parts of the Amazon—that must be pretty incredible to see. So yeah. I thought that was probably one of the most impressive plants—a plant you can stand on, a human being <laughs> can stand on one. So they open at night time, the so the, the pollinators must be nocturnal then. Yeah, I guess so. A bit like um, some s- certain species of moths and things yeah. in the UK, and um, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. I, I guess so. I'm I'm under no illusions of my level of um, expertise on <laughs> giant water lilies. So this is information that I gleaned from from some reading. But um, yeah, they sa- they sound impressive. They do sound and impressive. I reckon they're probably as impressive as your your tree, if not. If not more. <laughs> <laughs> well, baobabs are pollinated by fruit bats. So uh, hang on, hang on, Hannah. You've had your time. That's now remember, cool. <laughs> remember, it's up to you, wherever and however you're listening to Nature's a Hoot, to vote for which fact you think will best fit the bill of most impressive plant. So head over to our Instagram stories or our Twitter feed, both at Hawk Conservancy, to vote. We'll of course be revealing the winner of this episode's Matter of Fact Challenge next time. So Tom, do you remember the great chat we had with Megan McCubbin? I do. It feels like a long time ago now, but um, I remember it well. It does feel like a long time ago. Well, it was so good and Megan was so generous with her time that we did end up splitting her interview into two parts. Great. And does that mean we get to hear part two now? It does. We join the conversation here as we ask Megan about her latest writing and what it's like bringing out a book during a global pandemic. Okay, Megan, so moving on from um, presenting to writing, I'd really love to hear more about um, the process of the book Back to Nature that you wrote with Chris Packham. What was it like, the um, like the researching and writing process? How was that for you? Um, it was pretty well structured. I mean, we wrote that book in probably the space of five to six weeks. Wow. So there was a very wow. quick turnaround. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was intense. 
Um, that is intense. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, 12 hour, 14 hour, 16 hour <laughs> writing days. Um, and, you know, we got ourselves into a routine of writing and we covered the wall with post-it notes, which is really helpful when you're writing anything <laughs> because you can put down, you know, you put, put your kind of, not necessarily the definite titles of chapters, but you put down what roughly you want in each and then you can move the post-its around and play with the structure, which is really helpful. And for me, when it comes to writing, I really like to kind of take it out in bits and know which segments I'm doing. Um, so the post-its was quite good because I could be like, okay, today I'm going to focus on that topic and that should be roughly this length and mm. um, piece it in. So we kind of worked out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to divide the book. Obviously, two people writing it, you have to make sure that it merges in two di very different voices and two very different styles of writing. Yeah. So you have to make sure that that married up okay. Um, so Chris kind of took on, um, you know, well, I, I said that he took on the rants because he does it so well. He went off ranting about... <laughs> ranting, yeah, yeah, ranting about loads of different topics, um, about kind of UK conservation um, and, you know, the issues that we're facing. Um, and I wanted to kind of really focus on the new science side of it. Mm. I wanted to... Whilst it's important that we are aware of the issues and what's going on and the solutions, I also wanted to remind people of why we love it in the first place. I wanted to, you know it's not all doom and gloom you know is yes this is going on but how amazing are dragonfly eyes yes. can we all just appreciate that they can see <laughs> an ultra color because that's incredible so it's kind of pulling the reader out and taking a step back to reminding them why they're reading the book in the first place why they're into natural history in the first place or hopefully why they're into natural history in the first place yeah um, it's the wonder and you know how incredible and beautiful it is and and then you know getting into where we're going wrong in terms of uk conservation and what needs to be done mm. Yeah, I loved that aspect, the way that it was written, that you had the two sort of um, separate parts written by Chris and written by you. Um, it was, and it was really nice. I really found that it was a really nice mixture of, you know, like good hardcore activism. This is what you need to get out and do. This is this is the problem. This is what's going on. And then, yeah, some really nice just um, nature information and stuff to sort of have wonder about, like you're saying, about the dragonfly eyes and um, mm. the different things you talked about in the book. Um, was it sort of what was like your sort of aim or hope with the book when you were writing it and when it was released? Um, I hoped that people would read it and more <laughs> empower. Well, read it is a good. <laughs> 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 it's always good. Um, I do. I did hope that people would read it. A few people have, which is lovely. I'm very grateful. <laughs> I've read it. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I hope people would feel empowered. To be honest, you know, to feel like yes it is sometimes intimidating yes sometimes it is overwhelming um, yeah. but we do have the solutions we know what we can do and we can do a lot and we can do it very quickly and we can make the difference that we all hope to see yeah um, but I just wanted to kind of try and get people to turn that kind of feeling I suppose into action um whether that is what they could do locally within the space that they have control of i.e their gardens um you know talking about putting ponds in for example and the science of why it's important to put ponds in particularly if you live in a city because if it's shown that if you have more freshwater ecosystems in a city environment like ponds then it reduces the temperature and we all know that cities mm. are higher in temperature more people more um you know gases and everything else so um <laughs> that's really important well you know from a mental health perspective as well why it's important so i wanted to kind of 
give people the knowledge and the skills of what they can do and why it's important to look after their gardens and the spaces they, they can do, but also why it's important to come together as a community because there's some amazing community initiatives. Um, you know, people that are grouped together to buy bits of land, you know, they crowdfund for it, or perhaps, you know, it's a street that puts in loads of hedgehog highways, but coming together as a community, it's great when you do it on your own and you've got your bubble, which is fantastic for wildlife. It's even better when you knock on your neighbor's door and ask them to do the same. And it's even better when they knock on their neighbor's door and ask yeah. them to do the same. So we wanted to kind of encourage community conservation because there's a lot that communities can do together by grouping together. And then also talk about the big NGOs and mm. charities and, and, you know, what, what should be going on there as well. So to get involved, you know, send a letter to your MP, send a letter to those NGOs, tell them what you think, tell them what you'd like to see more of. Um, it's it's a book that I hope people will feel empowered to do something. Yeah. Mm. It. Yeah, it was nice to have those like manageable sort of things that you could do, you could go out and do and think it through about what you could actually do to help. Um, you're saying about community community conservation. We did a... Um, previous episode about that actually and talked to Kevin Cummings from the Langham Initiative because I went to university with Kevin and um, he's quite a good friend so it was great to have him on but you had a, a chat to him about the Langham Initiative? Yeah he's um, what a fantastic individual and what so a fantastic good. project I mean I'm so excited to go to Langham at some yes. stage and you know, I'd love to go and see it now obviously with restrictions and everything I'm able to but I'd love to go and see it now and then go again in 10 years. Yeah. Mm and see that transformation because it just sounds amazing yeah it's going to be a wildlife haven but yeah yeah I think um transformation is always the is, is the key word there absolutely yeah yeah it's a fantastic project and he said that um he always chats to me about it because birds of prey are so amazing up there and he's always telling me about the, all the amazing birds of prey seeing up there which I'm very jealous about but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no we I really enjoyed the book as well and I'm not really somebody who can um read things very quickly it takes me a long time to get through a book and I found that it probably took me as long to read it as it took you guys to write it so that's how incredible <laughs> your speed of writing for that one was but I did manage to finish it really quickly because of that nice and come up for air for a minute away from mm. some of the the um more depressing topics I guess it was like oh but now this so it's really nice to have that um, kind of two-pronged approach so yeah it was it was great uh, do you think it's had a, a good reception are you pleased with the reception that the book's had I think so I think publishing a book in the time of Covid is always interesting because you're never really sure of the figures because the bookshops are closed and everything else so yeah yeah kind of keep your finger on how it's gone but no I'm so grateful to everyone that's read it and the response has been lovely everything that we've seen on social media and lots of people out there doing things which is fantastic so um yeah I'm, ju I'm just really honored that people actually want to read it to be honest yeah I'm very proud of my signed copy of which I think we still have some in the shop if people were listening they fancy you want to in yeah. the shop at the Hawk Conservancy you uh, I know uh, you and Chris came along a few months ago before we went into the next lockdown <laughs> how long ago it was now and signed a few copies for us so yeah it's um it was fantastic so thank you thank you <laughs> see you said um that you're writing now as well and I know it's a very top secret but is there anything you can tell us about the project you're working on now um well there will be hopefully an announcement coming soon but <gasps> I, let's just say my fingers are at the keyboard again <laughs> um, okay. and it's a project that I feel really passionate about and I'm really excited to be able to speak about more it's really hard having to keep quiet because oh, really I bet <laughs> But um, yeah, hopefully announcement will be coming soon. 
Oh, amazing. I can't wait. So, Megan, do you get much time for, I know one of your other passions is uh, photography, wildlife photography. Have you had much opportunity to get stuck into that as well, alongside writing and presenting and filming and everything else? <laughs> I wish I had more. I wish there were more hours in the day. To be honest, I'd yeah. love to go because I think with me with photography projects, I really like to lose myself in them. I like mm. to get a clear vision in my mind of what photos I'd like to go out and take, and then I love just to go wandering and spend hours on a bit of an adventure, just kind of immersing myself in one particular place. Perhaps staying still, if that's what I'm photographing, or I'm photographing plants. I can wander around as much as I want. And mm. um, yeah, it's, it really depends. So I like to have a good period of time. Um, but I haven't had much of um, in abundance recently. No, it sounds like you've been very busy. <laughs> yeah, so well, which is great. You know, it's fantastic to be busy. Um, but yeah, so I'd like to maybe spring and summer spend a bit more time out with the camera a little bit because I, I do enjoy it. It's really good. It's really kind of calming for me. It brings because mm. you know, when you focus, I solely focus on one thing. Solely focus on the um, what photos you're trying to take. So it's a really nice kind of way to relax. I find it's beautiful. Obviously, being out in, in the wildlife. And, trying to um capture it as well as yeah well late spring and and summer great time for reggie's wildflower meadow here so if you fancy some macro shots of some yeah. beautiful wildflowers and moths and butterflies it is yeah it's little slice of paradise up there isn't it hannah yeah absolutely i'd love that i'll be i'll be there i'll be there as soon as i can great hey, you're welcome anytime <laughs> um so you're also alongside that the coordinator i think of the young bird photographer uh, competition of the uh, young bird photographer of the year competition um are you running that this year and how can people get involved if you are yeah so all well actually we've just done the judging process for bird photographer oh. of the year so um the winners and announcements will be coming i believe in the next couple months mm. i'm not entirely sure of the names, but they're coming very very soon um and yeah so it's been a fantastic competition it always is it's open to people all around the world um, so wherever you live, you know, as long as it's a photo of something feathery, um, you can enter it in. <laughs> um, it's, a, you know, it's a really great competition and the standard is ever increasing. The number of entries is ever increasing, particularly over the course of lockdown when people have been exploring you know, their own back gardens and the birds that are there. So um, I had some really kind of creative, arty images, which I quite like. I quite like the, you know, um, I like images that I've never seen before. Mm. I mean, that's always the trick is to get something original. Mm. Um, and there's definitely been lots of that so it's definitely something to uh, look out for when um, entries open again for 2022 now um, and yeah we're really excited I think the youth category is always really important I think it's lovely young people getting involved in taking these kind of images often they take more risks I think because mm. um, they're like yeah oh, what do you mean I can't shoot into the sun that's what I'm going to do yeah and, and then they'll end up paying off and get a fantastic image from it um, and it's fantastic seeing all those skills develop so yeah take a look at that and um, enter for the next time round. yeah I look forward to seeing it yeah okay Megan so we've asked most of the serious questions I think but we've got a couple of <laughs> um slightly sillier ones <laughs> so if you could be any animal or plant, what would you be? I, hmm, tricky. It is I tricky. Say, I would be an octopus. Oh, really? I think I'd be an octopus because, and I've got a theory for this because I, I really love marine, the marine world. I think it's fascinating. It's like a whole other universe the moment that you submerge your head under the water. And octopuses are highly intelligent. 
So in order to get the best understanding of the marine world, yes. you want to be one of the most intelligent animals there is underwater. Of course, you could be a cetacean, you know, a dolphin or a whale. Um, but I feel like octopus has, you know, they've got a lot more action mm. going on. You know, sometimes they're a bit more, you know, they shorter lifespan, of course, and they're always active, busy yeah. doing things. Most dolphins are too, of course. But I think I'd go octopus. I'd like to know what it's like to have eight legs. Yeah, that that short <laughs> lifespan is incredible. I always think because they are so intelligent, aren't they? And some of them only live for a year or two years. Yeah, and... about a year. Yeah. No, no time to get bored. Sad. <laughs> no time to get bored. Always on the move. Always, you know, changing color. The chromatophore. Like they're just incredible the way that they can change the texture of their skin to blend in yeah incredible. I mean, they're just the most extraordinary animals and yeah. there's so much left to learn about them and I just feel like I'd learn a lot in a short time as a year being an octopus one of our um our features on the podcast is we do a little um competition between Tom and I and a couple of months ago we did um best parent and I actually chose the great pacific octopus because the female um and I'm not sure if this is the same for most octopuses where she will uh, lay the eggs and then guard the eggs for up to six months and keeping them safe and yeah keeping them safe for six months and then she lets them go off into the world and then she dies which is very sad but yeah quite a dedicated parent yeah they are they do the most amazing things you know often they sacrifice themselves because they stay to protect their eggs and therefore they don't have wow. foraging or anything else so they do kind of yeah, exactly. with, when they reproduce some species it's amazing if you haven't seen my octopus teacher on netflix i have yeah. it's amazing it's, <laughs> it's remarkable and i think that's probably why i'd quite like to be an octopus if if octopuses around the world ever need somebody to work for them for pr <laughs> i think that the two of you as a team here yeah. like it would be yeah. a, a force very formidable. Hannah <laughs> and I are on the case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, next one. If you could only ever see one species again in your life, what would it be? I'm assuming we're not allowed to say domesticated animals, so I couldn't say poop. Yeah, you can keep your yeah. pets. Yeah, you can keep them. Let's or, or people. Oh, goodness, this is this is hard. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's like desert island discs. <laughs> We've reached that level. <laughs> you have, you're asking some impossible questions now. The thing <laughs> is, if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I'd probably give you. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's very mood dependent. Um, I would say um, uh, tiger. Nice. Oh, okay. Have you seen a tiger in the wild? I have done. Yeah, oh. <gasps> Bandagar in um, southern India. That is wow. major bucket list for me. It are oh, the most amazing experience. I, wow. I've worked quite a bit with tigers, um, and I just I'm totally in awe of them. Totally love them, and you know they're I, I owe a big part of my career to yeah. having worked with some of them. And um, yeah, I mean getting to see them in the wild was incredible. A lot of where we were in Bandagar, I mean some people could be there a week and maybe get one or two sightings if they were lucky. We got eight sightings on our first day. Wow, it was really unbelievable it just never happens we were incredibly lucky and um you know mum and cubs drinking down at the water um yeah it was yeah one of the best trips ever i was gonna say that's got to be fairly high up there on a a most memorable wildlife experience would you say that's your tip top or like does something else top that in your experience um it was it's up there i I never put them above one another because they're all so different and they all mean a lot in different ways 
That's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> it's hard, you know, with that shark, the tiger shark in Bimini, for example. Mm, yes. Pretty amazing. I've been really lucky to go and see penguins, which is, you know, you're on the edge of the planet, pretty much. You know, you're just so far south and so beautiful. And um, penguins are funny little creatures and adorable. <laughs> oh, my goodness, so cute. But you, it's unfair to pick between them. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, we'll let you off. But okay. is, is there anything that you've not seen that you think, that's that's on my bucket list. That's why I'd, I'd desperately love to see that in the wild at some point in the future. God, lots of different things. So, so much. I've never seen a blue whale. I'd like to see that. Wow, um, yeah. But also kind of, you know, the small thing. I'd, I haven't spent much time in South America, so I'd like to go and explore kind of more of a jungle environment. Mm. Um, but from a UK perspective as well, God, there's so much, a basking shark would be great. I've never oh, seen a basking yeah. shark Every time I've gone to try and see one, they disappear. Mm. I don't know what it is. It's a thing now. It's becoming, <laughs> I feel like I'm cursed. Or the, or the basket, they just kind of leave <laughs> the area. Uh, Capricalia, I'd love to see a Capricalia. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's lots on my list. It's a long list, a long, long list. Um, well, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to us today. It's been a genuine pleasure to hear all about the work that you're doing and and to kind of experience your passion for wildlife and, and get a greater understanding of what you're all about. Um, we look forward to seeing you on our screens once more when Spring yeah. Watch rolls around, which I think by the time this episode goes out, we're more or less there in, in Spring Watch territory, aren't we? So it's very exciting. Yeah, so, hope you enjoy it, the show. <laughs> yeah, in the future. Yeah, it's a weird saying that now. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, genuinely, if you ever fancy coming and taking some photos, flying some birds, you know, it'd be lovely to see you. Yeah, you're very welcome. No, thank you. Thank you very much for having me and hopefully be able to see you properly soon. I hope so. to see you soon. Thanks, yeah. Megan. So thanks again to Megan for being so generous with her time and coming to speak to us. Um, Hannah, we probably asked the most difficult question at the end there. If you could ever only ever see one other animal ever again in your life, what would it what would it be? Uh, we should probably do the fair thing and try and answer that ourselves because it's not an easy one, is it? No, it's not an easy one at all. <laughs> What's yours then? Uh, God, I, you know this. It's so difficult, isn't it? And we said we were going to be allowed our pets. So I'm sitting about three feet away from Delilah <laughs> right now. And I think if I didn't say her, then, then she'd be very, very sad and upset. But if I could only ever see one other animal ever again. Does it have to be an animal you've already seen, do you think? Or would well, you a pick point. a new one? Well, I guess it needs to be an animal that you know you like seeing. Yeah, I think Because so. otherwise you think, oh, that was actually, that's quite boring. I mean... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, oh. yeah, like if you said blue whale and then it wasn't always cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> Not that big. <laughs> um, I, you know, I know you know a lot about this subject, but I think the animal that has kind of left the biggest impression on me when I've seen them in the wild is when spending time in South Africa and seeing an elephant. Like if I, if there was one animal that I could just watch all day, I know we're bird of prey charity, so maybe... <laughs> maybe I should well, be picking a bird of prey I'm going to give myself birds of prey and say well I've, I've seen a lot of birds of prey but just the kind of presence of an elephant is pretty amazing um, yeah. but then equally you know fairly recently I've seen a, a barn owl again hunting in the evening and that's always a <gasps> moment isn't it 
So it really is. Yeah. It probably between between the two of them. How about yeah. you? Well, s- snap, because mine is without a doubt elephant. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're in the wrong job. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just I don't know what it is, but about it's something that you can't really even describe with elephants. Mm. They're just so intelligent and so intuitive and complex and massive they're mm. just incredible to be around and i if like to have that taken away like to think that i would never ever be able to see an elephant ever again would be really upsetting yeah I yeah think. i think i think that's fair that's fair but i mean there's still loads of stuff i haven't seen that i do want to see like i would like to see a blue whale yeah. Well, you know, the great thing about this, Hannah, is it's totally hypothetical. So although when you're thinking about the question, you're thinking, oh, God, I've really got to make this decision. And the great thing is you, you actually don't. <laughs> yeah. You can go and see whatever you like when travel restrictions allow. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Uh, great. Well, Hannah, it is now time for July's top tip from me. <laughs> When the weather is fine in July, it can be a great time to get out in the garden with the family and build a bug hotel together. Planning for the wetter, colder days to come in the autumn and winter and providing hiding spaces for the mini beasts in your garden. Start with the basic structure. Pallets can be great for this. When stacked on top of one another, they create layers with lots of gaps where different insect life can thrive. Now, Add your fillings. Each layer can be a little bit different. Dead wood and loose bark for species like beetles, centipedes, spiders and wood lice. Holes and small tubes are good, perhaps bamboo canes. They're great for bees. Larger holes with stones can provide the cooler and slightly damper conditions enjoyed by frogs and toads. If you put this in the center, it'll give them a great frost-free place to spend the winter. Dry leaves in certain parts of your pallets, sticks and straw, that's great for ladybirds because it mimics the dry, natural forest floor. Pack it all together and hey presto, your bug hotel come bug B&B is open for business. Let us know how you get on with your bug hotel by emailing us podcast at hawkconservancy.org. I've got three bees in my bee barrel. Have you? Yeah. Well, I think they're bees anyway. They're they're um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I didn't see them go in. I well, I saw one go in, which was a bee. But then there's they've closed up the. You know, it's the of the. Yes, they've like shut the door behind them. Yeah. Yeah. It's on three of them, so there's three different ones. <laughs> That'll be exciting. Yeah, with yeah. Some mud or Brilliant. something. So they're yeah. like solitary bees, aren't they? Like mason bees or whatever. I think there must be, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's it for our July episode. Summer is well and truly here. And Hannah, I can tell you that the birds here are loving some of the warmer weather that we're having. And they're flying brilliantly at the moment. Are they? That means it's definitely time to come for a visit then. Yeah, it's the best time of the year, really. Um, visiting us, uh, I would mention, is a, is a great way to help us as well. And if you can get an unforgettable day out of it too, then what could be better? Yeah. A quick reminder of our matter of fact challenge, you can vote for either Tom or 
obviously me, on our Instagram stories or our poll on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, there's loads more where that came from, so don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss out. If you'd like to know more about anything we've talked about in today's show, then head over to our social media pages where you'll find our blog that accompanies this podcast and loads more besides. Just go to at Hawk Conservancy on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. No, it's worth mentioning, actually, Hannah, as well, that it really helps us if people that listen to us leave us a review somewhere. Um, wherever you're listening to us, most of the platforms allow you to leave a review. Um, and there was actually one that I picked up this week, and oh. I want to read it to you. Yeah, it's from uh, username uh, louis.irks.is. According to... Uh, this was from Apple Podcasts, and according to Apple Podcasts... Um, Louis is in the Philippines, oh, wow. of all places. And listen, so we're like international we're here. global. I, absolutely. Um, this is what he said. He said, I'm so glad I found this podcast. Every episode is interesting and it fuels your love for the environment, nature and wildlife. Oh, I mean, that's lovely. If there was a mission statement for the podcast alone, yeah, that was it, wasn't it? So, so happy with that. Thanks for that, Louis. And uh, it's nice to hear that we'd certainly fuel some passion. If you'd like to leave us a review very very uh, much appreciated and maybe we'll try and read out a couple more um, uh, when when we see them when we yeah. spot them now next month we'll be talking all about the wonderful world of bird of prey senses are eagles eyes really as amazing as we've always thought and are vultures the only birds of prey to possess a sense of smell all this and more to come in the august episode that sounds like it's going to be a good one it will but from Hannah and I, <laughs> it's goodbye. Until next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>